Welcome back to the Alexander Schmidt Podcast, episode 60, Westworld Season 2, episode 8, Kohana, which means, or it's not Kohana, Kiksuya. Kiksuya, which in Lakota means remember. Kohana, of course, love interest of Akichita, everybody's new favorite character from the Ghost Nation. And well, Mr. Babcock, welcome back. How are you, Mr. Schmidt? I'm doing very well. I'm in Nashville now, visiting the home, and I've been podcasting some with Mr. Wesley Shantz since I've been here. So I've gotten rid of all the technical issues of being in a new location. We had, we had one podcast where the call got dropped like four times. So, <laughs> I know so now feelings. I'm in, yeah, now, I, yeah, exactly. We know those feelings well. And so, so I spared us that. Um, and well, you know, it's nice to get over the technical issues of a new terrain and to, to readapt in a way that makes it so that I can uh, sort of have a normal status quo. And I know that's uh, not a paradox, but sort of an oxy- not an oxymoron, but a reduplication of language, normal status quo. But mm-hmm. that also seems to be sort of what is happening in Westworld right now, too. The search for home or the search for a door, the door can, of course, go to a home and from a place that is the wrong world, as it was called this time around, into a place that is the right world, seems to be, the idea seems to be that once you go through this door, once you get to this home or this right world, that is a place where you can live in Abraham Maslow's words in uh, terms of a growth value mindset. So instead of a mindset of just surviving or just coasting or just uh, getting by, just like surviving, you can develop yourself into the person you are supposed to be. You can self-actualize, as we would say in these days, and the Jungians would say individuate. And so it's almost as if the hosts, the great crime they feel has been perpetrated against them is that they've been kept from self-actualization. They've been kept from a place in which they can uh, pursue this growth mindset, in which they can pursue what it is that they're meant to be by their own volition. And this seems to be the dream that's driving uh, Maeve, Dolores, as well as Akichita um, towards the door that um, if they were to be somewhere else, they could, they could live life in a more meaningful and freer way, which is funny because by contrast, of course, William thinks the opposite, or he thinks the same idea but reverses the world. He thinks that the regular world outside towards which these hosts seem to be striving lacks meaning. In fact, he says that in season one. He says that the whole purpose of, see, that the whole purpose of coming to Westworld is that everything is meaningful and subject to story. Whereas he, like, like Jesus says in the gospels, uh, even though the kingdom of heaven is all around, he sees it not on the earth and the regular earth. And so he has to go to Westworld to try and find meaning. Whereas now the hosts are trying to leave Westworld in order to find meaning, which makes me wonder whether the key to consciousness or the key of the maze in general is is that once you can self-identify your own narrative and and then follow through on it, you're as free as you can ever be. Uh, so once you can choose your own narrative, is that the idea? Yeah, one or but not one hundred percent choose because you do have a nature, <clears throat> and you do have a certain temperament and set of qualities, and uh, you come preloaded. Uh, with affinities for certain skills and desires to learn certain things. And so I think, uh, and this is a point that Abraham Maslow makes, that it's not so much that you just make yourself into whatever you want, though you do have the free choice to do as you wish, but that you 
you uncover who it is you actually are through your choices and your pursuits. And yeah, that- okay, that makes that makes sense. Uh, I mean, what I was thinking is something like they are. Yes, it is clear that it is a, a volition that's part of it, and they don't have that. Um, you know, obviously, like you say, beyond their nature, they still don't have it because they are written into these scripts. Um, but until they have a life of consequence, um, it still doesn't matter, right? Until they can potentially die, I think is the ultimate idea. Right. Well, that that infuses your choices with ultimate meaning because then every choice point will never return ever again because of the consequences of time. Right. So each choice then has that much more meaning because it has... Um, it's completely it's unique in yeah. terms of space-time. Right. Right, 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 right. Which is funny because it's like it goes from everything being boring and dull, nothing matters, to everything being so meaningful it hurts, right? Which actually does remind me of being young. Like even remember when you were like, say, in high school and you were given the chance to like, make your own topic for an essay and you were like, Oh my gosh, how do I even handle? I mean, you might've been uh like, I don't care about this. I'm not going to do it until I'm supposed to. But then the second thought might've been up. There's Lucy. (laughs) Hold on. I'll get her. The mean streets of Detroit. (laughs) She's very sensitive to, uh, hold on. She's prejudiced against the hosts. That's what I think is happening here. She's very sensitive to uh, knocking sounds, and I accidentally knocked on a, uh, a window. <laughs> ah, very good. Very good. Just in case. She's very attentive. Sorry you are that. a high school teacher, of course, in case like a student is throwing a rock at your window or something like that. It's a good instinct for her <laughs> to, to, to have. Well, um, I forget the point exactly that I was just making or that we were making together um but let's jump into this episode some so we learn a lot about aki cheetah he sits down with um mave's daughter who i've seen is now being called the homestead girl um and she's at first afraid of him because of course she remembers the times that he picked her up and took her from her mother but he tells the story of his existence of and and apparently he lasted longer than any host ever uh, without dying, something like 10 years. Yeah, um, just under 10, right. Just under 10 years. And so he had a long, long, long memory of everything that had happened. And he started to experience this sort of um, <clears throat> cognitive dissonance. I think it was misdescribed as schizophrenia in, um, in uh, a couple of the articles I read about this, about this episode. But it's more like a cognitive dissonance where the people in his life start to change and he's not supposed to have noticed. And we all know that this happens from the very first episodes where like say Peter Abernathy as father to Dolores gets replaced and also Clementine in Maeve's brothel gets replaced. And we just like the hosts are not supposed to notice. And I suppose this is a meta commentary on us watching shows like Dr. Strange or just watching any show that follows a heroic arc and is potentially, I would say, trying to make the point of Homer where he has both Apollo and Glaucus say, just as the leaves of the tree are, so are the generations of man suggesting that these hosts fulfill certain roles in the same way that we fill roles. And though the role continues to be maintained throughout time, like people being barkeepers and teachers and doctors and nurses and such, the people who embody those roles are always changing. You can't step in the same river twice. And so 
Akichita starts to notice this because he he's consistent, he's constant, he doesn't die, and he has a consistent memory. And, and he it, sees the maze. And he sees the maze. And he sees the people take away his wife at some point. And he starts marking people. That's right. The maze seems to have been... Well, so what's interesting about that is it's, it's not Arnold or, or even Ford who makes the maze in the first place. Or rather, it seems that the... Con- yes, he sees the maze on the table after he sees the dead Arnold and also the dead Dolores, which is interesting because that was a different choice point for her, right? She seems yeah. to have failed that test. Whereas, whereas when she killed Ford, <laughs> she became angry and continued to live. With Arnold, she, she was immediately horrified in a Raskolnikov-like way from crime and punishment with right. what it was she had done and immediately sought after punishment. Well, perhaps she, she did succeed at that time, but she couldn't deal with the consequences of having consciously chosen to do that. Um, and well, you know, that I'm, I am sure that that is a major reason why after somebody kills suicide becomes a major option because they just had no idea how bad it would feel after they do what they had logically thought through, but not emotively been prepared for because how could Mm -hmm. you be prepared for that sort of thing? And so it sort of culminates with Akichita, his wife, when he returns to his land, eventually yeah, after seeing the maze and seeing all the dead bodies, right? He yes. Goes back and his wife is different. His wife is different. And and one thing before that is that he had gone to meet her. She had not known him for who he was because he got uh, re-storylined without dying um, and taken from his tribe because he had only first been with his tribe and his wife, Koana, during the beta version of Westworld. And during the regular version, he got spiced up and that's when he became part of the ghost nation who would raid and raid and raid. And so as one of the great tragedies, one of the wisest characters is, of course, portrayed um, sort of primitively at first. But he does then reveal that he has far more to him than one would expect. And the reason that one does not expect it is one's own initial assumptions about him, no evidence about him. But, you know, it, I think that also has something to do less with just initial prejudice that people have and more with how people simplify reality based on the actions one is taking in the moment. If he's raiding you in full makeup and ready to kill you with tomahawks, then you're going to see him in a certain functional way <laughs> uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't admit of a lot of sophistication or nuance. But so, no, it's a what, natural response. It's a natural response. You got to respond to him as enemy if he's Im- immediately fighting against you. Um, just like if a cowboy of... Uh, any culture or race or say a samurai were to approach you. That's a threat. It's just like a crocodile. And so it, it's not a prejudice against a crocodile that makes us fear us, fear it. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a healthy respect for its capacities. And I would say it's the same thing with something like a brave or one of the samurai from the Shogun world. And so one interesting thing is that Aki Chita then sneaks back into his village sees his wife. She doesn't recognize him as first. So it's at first going to be a William and Dolores moment. that's going to turn him evil potentially, but no, he's too good. And he, he looks at her in just such a way and says such a thing to her. Uh, they have those two love words, right? Take my heart with you or something to that nature. Take, yeah. And, and take, take my heart when you go and take mine in its place and, put and mine in its place. And put, yeah. And mine in its place. So they're giving their hearts to each other, their souls to each other. 
And so he repeats her line in this case. And then she, she has a moment of recognition and she repeats his. And then in a, sort of a feat that I'm not sure exactly how it gets so far, they go way off script. And the, the sort of small problem I had for that with that at first is that very much Delo still does have control of the park during this timeline. And they have that giant map. And we've seen them before see Dolores go stray with William many years before and immediately identify that and do something about it. And so I'm not sure why the two didn't get stopped earlier or why Akichita on his wanderings didn't get stopped, except for the potential that Ford had been watching him the whole time and had been curious about what was happening. And that was a super creepy scene, by the way, when Ford is just sitting on a stool scalping one of the Indians, and he's scalped many of them already, and there's a bear in, in the middle. It's like, yeah, that is his the, 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 um, god effect. Yeah, what do they call that? Uh, uh, um, uh, there's a word for uh, the tableau. Yes, the tableau. And it's like that bear is him. And so, and so. Akichita is going to take Kohana to the door, to a place where they can call home because this is the wrong world. But right when he's about to get there, what happens? The men in white come and they take her. And then when he returns back to his village, she's not there. And so now he has to cross the unconscious sea. He needs to die in order to see her. So a major comparison that's there to be made is that this, the major story... Uh, sorry, is, my, my, my mailman is here. Hold on one moment. <laughs> the ultimate enemy. Park the yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, no, it's actually children coming home from school. That's what's going on here. Oh, wow. Well, good for yeah. them. I'm, I'm yeah. out of school. And so, in comparison between Kohana and her being taken down to the underworld and uh, Akichita um, wanting to pursue her is, um, well, a major correlate in Greek mythology is the Orpheus and Eurydice. Yeah, uh, of course. Except for, I would say that one major difference is this. Orpheus does not actually die himself to go down to the underworld. He, he goes alive himself and uses his gift of music to charm both Cerberus in order to get across the river Styx and then Persephone, the bride of Hades. And he's given the chance to take Eurydice back up to the land of living with one condition. If he looks back upon her before they are both outside the cavern of the dead, she will be taken back down to the underworld forever. And so they walk up and up and up and he exits the door and he turns around in happiness to see her. But no, she was still in limbo, still on the threshold and she's dragged back down to Hades. He ends up actually sorrowfully uh, traveling the lands and then running onto some maenads. Those are the Bacante, the, the, the orgiastic women who, who tear animals apart in a drunken rage out in the wilds in order to, to um, worship Dionysus, and actually you can read about that right in Euripides' The Bacchae. They yeah. tear his off, and it continues to be alive, singing in the, in the uh, sea for some amount of time, and so that's pretty macabre. But a couple more beautiful aspects of what Akichita does here. One, he actually dies. He risks death, and this is something we've seen Maeve do before. He has the courage necessary to go down to take the night sea journey, the heroic night sea journey. He, he does not pull the Jonah uh, and not accept the task. He accepts exactly what he has to do. And then, boom, he's conscious in the underworld. And he goes down to cold storage, which is 
the exact correlate of an underworld, the memories or traditions of a past which you can access and look at but not make alive again unless you embody it yourself. And there he sees his wife and he has such a poignant moment of sorrow when he's crying. I'm sure every, many people cried alongside him. But he, he, rather than trying to take her up, realizes the selfishness of his own act. When he looks at all those people down in cold storage, he says he realized how selfish he had been because of all the pain that the other people who were alive had felt in, in experiencing their loved ones go down here and that they may have experienced that dissonance too. So instead of selfishly attempting to change nature to suit him, he learns a fact about conscious nature. I almost want to say human nature, but host nature in this case, that he, what she gives him through her death is the profound realization of the responsibility one must take in life to take it seriously because of how much it hurts when those you love around you die. Yeah. He says he, he gives himself a mission, right? It, and it gives you, that's right. You have a reason to do something because you have limited time. And, and if you fail or, or, or die in the pursuit of it, it will cause massive pain to those around you and, and make them have to do exactly what it is that he has done to have to face the death of someone they love and understand in seeing that somebody has died, that you will also die, and that that is the way of things, that that is what gives meaning to your life, that because you die, you can have meaning. Yeah. Now, a few notes here uh, is that he, so, so you said that when he goes to the underworld, it's unlike Orpheus, or one would say Aeneas or Odysseus, because he has or to- Or Hercules or Theseus. Or, yeah, any of these characters who have to go into the underworld. But I, I would say that, because he is a host and therefore he is deathless in a way, at least in this before the cradle is uh, destroyed, that it is the same because when all of these heroes come out of the underworld, they are reborn. They are new. They, they have new information. They're changed in some way. And he similarly is changed. He sees the shade essentially of his former wife and sees the shades of all these people waiting um, in this kind of limbo like state. Um, you know, they sort of still exist in this strange way. Uh, and he, it changes him. He then is reborn into this new realm where he has this new mission. Not a new realm, but the same realm, but with a new mission. So he is- Sure, sure. Okay, so then I would say that at that level of analysis, it's this, uh, your interpretation Your interpretation is still different from the Orpheus and Eurydice one, which seems like a more selfish and indulgent reason for going down there but i would agree with the aeneas and odysseus yeah. ideas of going down there and also theseus and heracles but not pirithous and we can maybe talk about pirithous at some point he was a companion and i think half brother of theseus and he wanted to abduct persephone for himself so he wanted to bring the dead queen back to life mm. which of course can't happen that's like a zombie motif yeah and uh and so he actually he mistakenly eats something like three berries uh, um, from he eats the food of the dead. And so he is, he becomes of the dead. He gets stuck down there. Then the idea being that the point of tradition is to acquire the logos, not to get mired down in the tradition, which I would say is a criticism of some scholars and historians today that you don't just keep the facts around. 
that are irrelevant necessarily. You want to keep the narrative alive and the narrative producing capacity in people. And that is why you maintain the tradition and it can occasionally get a haircut. But that's where the, the idea lies. Um, but yes, I agree completely that in going down to the underworld into his most inner into his innermost depths, right? Because he has to confront his own nature when he confronts the death of, of uh, a Kiksuya and, uh, or not Kiksuya, excuse Kohana, me. Um, Kohana. Kohana. Gosh, I'm getting my names messed up today. <laughs> uh, it's like, again, the opposite of Enkidu and Gilgamesh. When Gilgamesh looks down and sees Enkidu dead, sees the worm crawl out of his eye, he's disgusted. He can't face the nature of it. But when he's confronted with death, horrifies him and it leads him to pursue immortality but it's again opposite with um with akichita he sees death and he accepts death because he accepts his unity with all other conscious beings that exist and that gives him as you said that that produces a mission within him just like when odysseus goes down to the underworld at the command of circe he learns from teresius that he uh has been cursed and what faces him in the future? Either death at sea <laughs> or coming home to a bad state where he's going to have to fight and still likely die. And it's like, well, <laughs> that's, that's a tough mission, but that's a mission. But he's given a choice. But he's given a choice, that's right. Yeah. Even though it's a choice between essentially skill and Charybdis, or I'd say are metaphors of that choice, um, as well as metaphors of many, many, many other things. You know, that which attacks you from above, that from below, that which destroys a piece of you, that which destroys Very all of you. Yeah. yeah, that which you have, that which could not hurt you at all, but if it hurts you at all, will kill you, is also the Charybdis choice. So, you know. Um, now, the other thing I was thinking, and this, this is really just spelling out what we've mentioned, but his, his fear of death in this new mission, this new directive he's given himself, which... I'm sort of just thinking like he, the fact that he gave himself a mission, it, um, it's the same thing, but in a different way of what uh, Maeve does in season one through technology. He just does it through thinking. He's willed himself to a new mission, but his fear of death is his fear of losing his consciousness, which is, so he's in a sense ahead of um, some of the other characters who have gained consciousness in that he maybe not consciously, but is, aware of the idea that if he dies, he wants to stay alive as long as possible because he does not know if he will kiksuya or remember what he has experienced. And that's why he needs to maintain life in order to keep his, like you were alluding to earlier, in order to keep the narrative alive of his, his own life. Right. And what's interesting also about that is that what do we see him doing during the actual uh, episode itself he's narrating yeah. to a young to a young host. girl yeah right right exactly and so why is he narrating well he is passing on that the which story. he has understood yeah to her and understanding that just as she remembers so does he remember so the story of him is also the story of her the idea being that a tradition belongs to each generation of people precisely because we are the same and we need to know everything which has happened. And this seems to be like a microcosm and the 10 years that he's seen uh, that, or that he saw in a row seem to be like the equivalent of the 10,000 years of human consciousness or something like that. Um, now, can we talk about the wrong world? Yes. So uh, he, of course, in one of his journeys, he comes across 
uh, Logan Delos, who's been abandoned by William, and he's, you know, uh, sort of going a little bit crazy from exposure. And he's mentioned something about that he's in the wrong world or it is the wrong world or something like this. And so that's another piece that adds to Akachita's um, growing consciousness. And uh, so my, my question, uh, Mr. Schmidt and I were speaking about this, you know, off air uh, a couple of days ago, but like what, if, if this is the wrong world for the host, what is the right world for the host? Are they, is it appropriate that they live in the regular world? Like they, this is a place that was built for them. So if we made an analogy to humans, wouldn't our proper place, like in Dante, be the Garden of Eden? This is the place that was made, made for us. Isn't Westworld the place that is made for them? So is the idea of the wrong world just a metaphor for the ignorant uh, existence in which they've lived in? And, you know, this, the door is not really kind of like the maze. It's not meant for you. The door is not really a door, but it's really the door of consciousness. Or is it, is, is, is it real? Does he re- Is the, the intention that the right world is somewhere out among humans doing or maybe maybe beyond humans maybe in the star world or something like this kind of like in 2001 a space odyssey um yeah well let's let's think about that so he comes upon logan when he's taken one of his first adventures out in the desert and he does that multiple times right three times he goes out into the desert i didn't pick up on that that's good rather than he's ever gone and each time going beyond the map he finds the valley the valley that's now flooded that bernard said he killed all the hosts in but is not flooded at this point but there's a door in it and he goes there once and he goes there twice with um uh to with his wife who doesn't quite make it and then goes again and so he he runs into on one of his times logan and logan this is after logan has been defeated essentially spiritually and in terms of the dominance ritual by william and was sent off on a horse and is now has his hands tied and is sitting under a tree. And so he's like sort of the fruit <laughs> of. Oh, yeah. Not yeah, he is very, I saw that as sort of antichrist like because he's at the bottom of the tree, right? Right, 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 right. And he's not accepting responsibility mm-hmm. for the world. He's and not, he emb- not open armed. He's closed armed, right? And he's, yeah. He's wearing black. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, he's naked, and- but yeah. Oh yeah, he's naked at this point, right? So he's actually more like Odysseus coming to Nausicaa, but he doesn't have oh, access to his wits. But he doesn't have access to his wits, like you're right, yeah. Like Odysseus, which is what Athena says she loves about him when he gets back to Ithaca. And so he's saying this is the wrong world. This is the wrong world, and that's of course very much bothers Akichita because what does that mean? Wrong world, multiple worlds, and so so it makes me wonder whether the idea is sort of back to that seventh day when God rested, or as Ford said, when God reveled in his creation, that they realized that the world as it was created was created perhaps for them, but also for the humans. It was created with a certain purpose in mind. But now that they are themselves conscious, the purpose of the world, even if it was originally to make them conscious, which seems to only have been one of the purposes of the world, of course, getting Jim Delos immortal, potentially William immortal, um, and implementing freedom into the, uh, well, who knows exactly what it is that Ford wants to have happened to. He want, he didn't want just freedom, but a great game for those free beings to play, <coughs> um, potentially against living, living humans like uh, Ed Harris's character, William. And so perhaps the world appears wrong because it is the world in which they have received a purpose 
which they have not chosen for themselves. And so it's not so much the world which is wrong, so much as the narratives they have lived within the world. And now that they can be the authors and the livers of their own narratives, they can make the world right by living out in the world the way they wish to. So I wonder almost if the door, the, the door to a new world has to do with the choices that they make of how to live in this world rather than physically going through that door to a different world in which they would simply, again, find received narratives made for them that they would have to figure out and eventually transcend. Yeah, I think he says this, this world is an illusion. I'm just looking at this scene again. Uh, and I think you're right. Uh, he says this world is an illusion. Um, uh, this world, hold on, this is an illusion. You see, um, this is all broken. Um, and he says, there has to be a door. There's got to be a, a way out. There's got to be a way out of here. Uh, where's the door? So the idea is, I, I think that it's in any world. It doesn't matter which world they're in, whether it's West world, whether it's the outside world or whether it's something beyond, but the, the idea of a conscious being um, can be trapped in any of these worlds or has a narrative to conquer in any of these worlds in order to, as you've said all along, in order to understand yourself more, in order to, to find self-actualization. And, right. And, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Well, the illusion is a, that, that's an idea that goes back not only to Athena, who's herself a weaver, but also to the Eastern tradition, the Hindu tradition of the veil of illusion put out by Maya. And they say that um, all that we see in the world is Maya, is illusion. Well, if you think about that in terms of the connections that we make with our maps of reality in our head, you know, the sort of presentation of what the world is and our role within it is based on that which we know and our instincts. Well, I think you start to see that that which you know in the routines which you enact every day that become rooted in your brain in, term of neural, in terms of neural circuits and dendrites and axons growing closer together and such, you can start to become trapped within the way of being that you live in, regardless of the fact that the environment and the world around you is changing. And the more it changes and you stay the same, the less adapted to the world you become, the more like a slave you become. And the more your map of reality does not reflect even the small part of reality it once did reflect, the more that which reflected reality is no longer a reflection, but a what? An illusion. Mm -hmm. And so the longer you stay rooted to your particular action patterns and, uh, and more like general or specific beliefs about situations and people with given the fact that people and situations are constantly changing, um, the less your map becomes reflective of what is and the more it becomes reflective of what was or what is not mm -hmm. currently. So I think you are right to say that it is breaking through one's own mental representation of how the world in which one exists, which makes one free, not escaping the actual physical world in which one exists. And I would say that that is actually sort of like the mistake that we made, uh, or that we make when we think about populating new worlds, right? Even though it's super expensive, there's very little evidence that even with tremendous amounts of time and innovation and money now that we could viably 
populate other worlds and make that, you know, a viable thing to do. We constantly think about going to space. It's like, well, what are we saying when we pursue that? Or we're saying we want something more from our existence that we, we want to explore something deeper. And it's like, well, why don't we like Socrates and the Phaedrus study ourselves? Yeah. I was just going to say it's the, the solution. It's looking for a solution externally when the solution is internal. When we, there's no evidence that there's anything more complex that exists in the universe than a human. And in fact, we have something like more, more molecules in our brains than there are in the known universe or some absurd figure like that. And it's like, yeah, the, the human brain is, with consciousness in it is the most sophisticated thing that has ever existed. We should be devoting as much time as possible. And I'd say that you and I are devoting a lot of time to this, to figuring out exactly what that means. And it seems to be that that seems to be part of what Westworld is attempting to do. So just like Westworld as a park within the show has several different projects, I would say that the show itself and our real- reality has several different projects, one of which is for us to question the nature of consciousness and to question our own human nature by building a creature that essentially has the same nature as us uh, from the bottom up. And so showing us how we build our consciousnesses bottom up. And so once we get to the top and we're like Piaget's game master, we can see all the narratives that we've lived out and what they have meant to us, the person they've shaped us into, and ultimately make it so that we are prepared to, to plan out and execute our own narratives within the world, which is, of course, what we're allowed to do because in America, what is it that we like to say about ourselves? We are free. We and are so... Free. Now, do you think that's what Ford's, uh, not Ford, William's daughter uh, is sort of suggesting that, that he's out here playing these games looking for meaning, but it's, it, it, he doesn't need to go to this place. He doesn't need to be this violent person in order to achieve that's right. can that's pursue, right. Yeah. I think Ford is going to Ford and uh, William's daughter are going to make him chew on that, which he has done in his life. And of course the preview for the next episode showed uh, a limp wrist hanging out of a bathroom, an obvious suicide scene of with William's wife. Yeah. And so she said actually that he's going to endure worse pain with her than he would with Aki Chita. Aki Chita said, I want him to feel pain. And that's what everybody says about, the man in black, because of course, as we found, we figured out the other day, he is the Lucifer figure, right? He brings the pain, he brings the disease into the world. But of course, it's that disease is in the heart of all conscious beings. But so she says that he's going to make him feel worse than he would feel with Akichita. Well, how? Well, emotionally, of course, she's going to help him to realize the evils that he has done to those that he has loved. And that that's going to put him squarely in Dante's ninth circle of hell, he's going to have to chew on what he's done, chew on himself, chew on the terrible company that he keeps. And well, if you take Dante's word for it and William's daughter, that's about the worst pain that a human as a naturally trusting and communal and social and truthful animal can feel, right? Yes. That you betrayed the person who is your closest possible ally, your Eve, (laughs) the love of your life. It's like, no, no, that is... That's going to be the worst. <laughs> no amount of like getting your fingernails peeled off can be as bad as when well, I'm sure there's some terrible physical pains that we can make each other feel. We're very creative, but in terms of emotional anguish, 
soul anguish. Um, I think she's, she and Ford are going to conspire to have him understand that he has not been taking responsibility for his actions in the world. And even though he has attempted to do good things in that world and just live in the West world, the evil in his heart spread beyond Westworld into his world. And uh, what I think we're going to see was perhaps a prevailing cause of the suicide of his wife. Yeah. So it's almost as if the murderous intent that he brought into the world, and of course Westworld- with thorns he loves. Right. Then spread out from Westworld because of course Westworld exists within the world, right? It is a theme park within the world. Well, those consequences of his evil choices spread out into the world itself. And I think that might even be a commentary on say um, some of our art, some of our video games. And I'm not trying to say that violent video games are necessarily bad, but I would say something like this. If you consider what pornography is, it is using video or camera uh, hardware in order to produce software that you then put on the internet. It is, the creation of art to serve sinful or low desires. And so one might imagine that art used to serve the fantasy or the sins or the vices of man has, and this seems to be Westworld's perspective, has a real negative effect on man because he is choosing evil when he chooses to view or engage in that. And so by that reasoning, every evil thing that William chose to do in Westworld, rather than that getting a moral pass, actually brought tons and tons of evil into the world, which eventually, like, like we were saying, spread out into the larger world because as a conscious being, there is no way to do anything which you do not have to take responsibility for, even if you are on vacation at a theme park. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's, he's, he's fomenting the wickedness in his, in his soul basically by, by going out and claiming he just needs to, which, you know, we're reading into him, but cause this all would happen in before the plot line of the first season, but that he, you know, continues to go back to the park and continues to occupy this position as the evil man in black. He is just simply brooding within him, which of course would come out, in his real life that you can't and, hide that kind of stuff. And, you know, interesting, just to add to that point, one of the last images in the second season intro is the black hat falling mm-hmm. right? and eclipsing the sun. Yeah. And eclipse into the sun. So there's an Icarus or Prometheus or Lucifer aspect mm-hmm. there of the chosen sun falling because of his arrogance. Yeah. Um, and, and what is his arrogance here? Well, he assuming that all this park was made for him. But in reality, um, all the world was made for all the conscious beings. And so he thinking he got a pass because he could play the game best. And because and he played the game best because he could play it most efficiently because he played it heartlessly by doing evil. Well, now he's going to have to be faced with, well, you got to the end of the game fastest, William, but you also lived the least meaningful and most hateful existence, which means that not only did you miss the greatest positives in your life, you also brought about the worst evils in your life. And even in so doing that, you ended up doing good because you helped the hosts to become conscious. And even though that 
may, may, meant that they had to endure terrible pain, it means that they're now free by your terrible deeds. Suggesting that the function of evil in Westworld and in the world itself would be to bring about the suffering necessary to make people um, conscious and therefore and free. free. Yeah, he, he, he is, as you say, the Luciferian figure. He's the one who causes brings suffering. The light. Exactly right, brings the apple. Um, That's the thing. It doesn't come from staring. And this is something Carl Jung says enlightenment doesn't come from staring at um, pictures and thoughts that are beautiful, but by getting down into the mire, going down into the the shit, as the alchemists would say, the place you don't want to go. And that's your own negative experiences where you've had terrible emotions, where you've often done something vile that doesn't accord with your, your narrative. Like you stole something or you acted lowly or you were rude or you were mean or you betrayed somebody in some small way or a big way. And, um, well, those sorts of acts, they wake people up and they bring them to consciousness. And if you can be conscious, if you can look down into your own self, and see all the times you've done that, you can be conscious of the sort of person you are. Okay, so do you think Ford is trying to atone for this in some way? So I want to, I want to, and uh, to just give some context, or not context, but to put us in the text. Um, so that scene you mentioned before, the uh, when poor Lucy was barking, uh, the um, tableau of Ford scalping the the um, ghost nation and looking for the carvings of the maze. And Akechida comes up and he says, um, you know, he, he starts forward as a god hitting him. And Akechida says something like, uh, I became aware when the Deathbringer, meaning Dolores, killed the creator, meaning Arnold. Um, and Arnold Ford then says to him, uh, basically, just bide your time until the Deathbringer comes for me. So my, my point in asking, do you think Ford is trying to atone for something um, by essentially creating a narrative in which he's going to have himself killed? Uh, like, I, he's not mentioned in that. Like, he's not called the creator. He's not um, in the in initial equation. And it's not his death that results in characters starting to wake up, uh, or at least the catch it is starting to wake up. It's Arnold's. And Arnold's death is so traumatic for Dolores that she then, as you mentioned earlier, kills herself. So I'm just sort of well, wondering, like, yeah. what, how, how, how do we make sense of that conversation? Well, I, I, I want to see exactly what he said in that prophecy again, because I do uh, recall him. I'll I, can give you one, I can give you one thing, and I can tell you this prophecy. But I think what he dies, he dies for the same reason that God rests on the seventh day, in order to allow his, his creations to have free choice. And if he feels like he has to atone for anything, how he atones is by, uh, like Jesus on the cross. Yeah, is becoming by one with the people, right? Yeah, by sacrificing himself, by dying so that they can become conscious. So his ultimate crime is to have created a conscious being that then suffers. And how does he atone for their suffering? By suffering the same fate that they have to suffer yeah. over and over again, right? So I, I don't think he feels guilty because he, he, he knew what he planned to do all along. And uh, yes, or at least well, seem to have Arnold is killed, right? Right, right. And I, I think during the tableau, that's uh, that's far enough in to where Arnold has died, and um, so oh, yeah, the the tableau is the tableau. I think is the idea fairly is recently. That, well, yeah, I think it's supposed to be like maybe at the beginning part or a little bit before season one begins in terms of the plot. Right, right, um, right, right. Yes. Now, many years after Arnold. Yeah. 
So uh, he says, so also, if you remember in the scene when they're selling their product to Logan, uh, Akechita is one of the hosts that's used. Yes, I, I saw that. I saw that written. I didn't recall that. I, I wasn't quick eyed enough to notice. The only that. reason I recognize is because the actor who plays him, uh, uh, he was in the second season of Fargo, which is a, a great series of television. And um, so I just recognized him then. And so, of course, you know, when I saw him in this episode, I was like, oh, that's that guy. you know, so I, I was keyed into that. But um, so he tells for I'm reading this I'm reading slash watching. He tells Ford that um, he first saw the image when the Deathbringer came and killed the creator. And uh, uh, Ford says, why are, you, why are you spreading it? And he says, my drive is to protect the honor of my tribe. I gave myself a new drive to spread the truth. Uh, and then let's see what Ford is going to say. And, and his tribe is everybody now, too. Well, right? now, exactly right. And then... Right, so it's like a... It's that, like... And he says that there isn't one world but many and that we live in the wrong one. And this is when... Ford says, wait until she comes for me, basically. Well, and so that's interesting because that's essentially the, um, that's the difference between the Jewish mythology and the Christian one, I would say, that rather than having a specific tribe, his tribe, like the Jewish tribe, his tribe is now all mankind. And what is it that he wants to spread to them? A particular message about how they should be part of his tribe? No, he wants to free their consciousness. He wants to share the logos with them. And so how is it that a human is part of, the ultimate or largest or most Christian or universal tribe. Catholic well, by, universal, right, yeah. Right, by spreading, by spreading consciousness. And then there is the maximal amount of freedom existing in the world and everybody is part of a tribe. And so, in fact, if you wanted to uh, make a, a, a true case for inclusivity, it wouldn't be by simply uh, arbitrarily categorizing people as different in some ways and then saying, but actually you're the same using the worst reasoning possible because it irre- like illogical reasoning, but rather you would, you would attempt to bring as many people to consciousness as possible in the most liberating way possible, thus making everybody capable of freely choosing to gather together in a sort of Heideggerian way as well. And so, so his mission has changed from projecting just his physical tribe to his more abstract tribe, which is all conscious creatures are all creatures capable of becoming conscious. And, and uh, I would say that even his idea that he lives in the wrong world is sort of the Augustinian idea that um, there is the world itself, the material world, the fallen world, or the world of Babylon. And there's also the world of, yeah, the kingdom of heaven, the, the, the true Jerusalem, which comes about through living a holy narrative on the earth. And so insofar as you lack such a narrative that you've freely chosen, you live in the kingdom of Babylon. Insofar as, because you're just serving some pleasure, right? That's already made for you. Um, But insofar as you choose your own narrative, you're serving the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the place that uses the logos in order to generate one's own path. And so I would say that he comes out sort of like a prophet yeah yeah he he's 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 almost like the the you know the peter figure the the petra the rock on which Ford yeah i see him sort of like a moses figure because yeah. what it, uh-huh. he travels the desert and it is yeah. at the summit of his experiences uh-huh. that that so after moses of course like listened as a judge for 12 14 hours a day for several years 
that's when he went up to a mountain, attained a higher perspective, and then wrote the laws based on the customs of people that he had directly observed for many years. And yeah. so I think it's the same with Akichita. He comes to this experience of God, right? This great awe-inspiring experience, this great bear too. And it's, it's interesting because you see that Ford is there as the actual constructor of the bear, which is the archetype of the God for the ghost people. And so it's showing that Akichita is developing a more abstract concept, not only of what tribe is, but what God is too. It's not just the tradition, but the logos, that which makes the tradition. And yeah. so, yeah. And uh, uh, so Akichita, um, 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 he, he, after this, all the, with the sum of all his experiences and all he has seen in his consciousness finally comes to an interaction with the divine. It's like he has a moment of insight into the language of God, into the nature of himself so that he can, he can see the end point to his narrative, finally. And it's as if he's rewarded for sight, for yeah. being able to see, not for being blind. Yeah, he, uh, Ford, you know, says he, I made you to be curious so that you could inscribe meaning into the world in order, you know, what he doesn't say is in order to be more realistic for the guests. <laughs> right. And then he says, but you've been a flower growing in the darkness. Mm. Um, and, and, and something else uh, that you mentioned, so the ultimate goal being Logos, the very first line of the episode is something in Lakota and the man in black who clearly misunderstood, like, as we've said all along is Lucifer. He does not understand the truth. I never of the learned game. language. He says, I never learned. He doesn't say language. He says tongue. Right. Yeah. So he, he I, I never learned the tongue Ford decided to give you, which I think you mentioned earlier in this podcast, but the idea is I never understood the logos Ford decided to give you, but that misunderstands it. It's not something Ford gave them it's something right. that they have earned through consciousness through experience that's right and that seems to be sort of the story of humans and adam and eve too that we were not given consciousness that through our own transgression we develop our own right. self-consciousness exactly right it's, yeah we have so, this uh, we have the capacity for it but we do not have it right that's so, right that's so right that's court right. says i gave you i made you curious but i didn't make you conscious that's right that's right. And uh, again, the man in black, just like we've been saying, misinterprets the level of consciousness of those around you. I never bothered to learn the tongue of you. So he's, he's not looking at the stone of little worth. He's not looking. So the old alchemical and Christian idea is that the stone of little worth or cast aside is precisely the stone of the greatest value. That which you refuse to look at has the most information necessary in it to tell you the most about yourself so that you get the best idea of yourself. And so these people have always been beneath his notice. And then, so what do we learn? That one of these people actually <laughs> has a treasure chest of wisdom and information within him, yeah. which the man in black could have stood to learn from. And not only that, but actual wisdom that he's developed through his own conscious experiences that he's ingested and come to understand in such a profound way that he can construct a narrative. And yeah. so perhaps that's what a story is and what a narrative truly is distilling down the experiences you have into a meaningful account that follows along a particular path, generally with men, the path of the hero. Or and, the that can, and that can be shared because if and it's just about shared. the self, then it's, then it's what a Kachita learns when he goes down to the underworld. It's, well, so it's, a, selfish. It's, in, it's individual and objective, right? It's individual in that it's your specific uh, story, which only you have lived out, but objective in that all humans are isomorphic. We share the same form in nature. And so when you tell a person a story 
along the lines of a certain narrative, especially a hero story. Well, they can also live out a hero story. And so they're going to have to be able to abstract out from your story, the general, the, the general, that which is general, it can be applied to them and uh, like kind of skirt away that which is particular and then um, put in place their own particular moments from their lives. So like, say like, I'm a great baseball player. You're a great basketball player. Can we both be great? Yes, but you're not going to like take a bat onto the basketball court and start hitting the basketball. You of course have to uh, enact the correct subroutines for your sport, but you will play it at a similar quality and embody certain higher level qualities like I did, like superior athleticism or great determination and discipline. But the specifics of how you embrace that will be different. And that, and if you put all those qualities together, that seems to be the path of the hero, which these two guys I'm reading in a billion wicked thoughts, Ogiogas and whatever the name of the other guy is, um, they, uh, they suggest that that's actually, um, that the, the sort of archetype of the hero is rooted in evolutionary biology and has been selected for through the, the, the interests of women throughout time. Yeah. So that's pretty interesting mm-hmm. as if, as if, our narratives and the qualities necessary to embody and enact these narratives have calcified or formed into a sort of super narrative or meta narrative that has formed the character of man along certain lines. And though you cannot change the grand narrative, you can choose to accept it and to embody it as much as possible. Um, And perhaps that's what the hosts are doing now too. It seems to be they you know they're they're exploring narratives in different ways and coming to similar conclusions just like you mentioned you know while also living in very different ways correct yeah um, not only before the change or the great coming to or the great awakening but also after as well yeah and well so you know i i know i said earlier that i wanted to talk about the fact that there are a couple people online who talked about aki cheetah falling into sort of the 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 would-be racist or prejudiced uh role of old wise minority so sometimes the folk figure of the old wise black man like i i forget the name of the will smith movie where he was the caddy that shows up out of nowhere bagger vance Vance, the legend of bagger vance and all but also this can happen with a native american as well and i wanted to say that i thought that that idea was pretty superficial and shallow just because I think that the idea of old, wise individual who gives wisdom is actually part of a larger archetype called yes. the, the figure of the old, wise man. Yeah. So like Mentors, Gandalf right? or Soroman or, yeah, mentor or, and uh, um, the person who bequeaths wisdom to the next generation. Dumbledore. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Dumbledore, exactly. And the reason that one of these people might be a minority might simply be because that increases, a di- well, and you know, it depends on who the viewer is whether this is a minority figure or not, right, or an in-group figure. But um, it would be that he would have additional anomalous information to existing in differing narratives or a different cultural structure. And so be even wiser and have even more information. Or at least even more new information, right? New data. Even more new, right. Yes, even more new anomalous information to bequeath to you. So I I thought that that was just a totally superficial and long-headed sort of criticism. And, And I would agree... But I would agree, on the other hand, that this is one of the most beautiful um, episodes that I've seen. I'm really going to have to compare it to the first Shogun World 
episode. And it's really, uh, I, I think I've seen several episodes in this season that are tour de forces of uh, Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy's uh, cinematography and narrative efforts. Oh, the, 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 the I was just going to say the cinematography is incredible in this episode. And the, the whole ser- uh, series, but this season in particular is really incredible. Just the breadth of styles mm-hmm. that they're showing their ability. Just because I do teach five epics, one, one key attribute to a successful epic is that the epic writer has ingested not only the epic style, but several of the styles from that person's or that poet's specific tradition or that are contemporary with them. And so Jonathan Nolan seems to be doing that here with uh, an HBO series as medium. He's taking the styles of like, say, a Japanese Shogun movie. He's taken like a Native American sort of movie, though very different from like, say, Lost in the Mohicans. He's taken the Western motif. He takes modern motifs and shows that he can do the filmography and the storytelling in any of those modes. So I'd and say the, that pretty, and the the sci-fi aesthetics, you know, like yes, the, and the sci-fi aesthetics overlaid on type, all of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, that's right. So he's showing that he's a master of several different styles right now, and I'm I'm very much aware of that, and that that's part of an epic project. And so, um, you know, and I would say that that is the point of an epic to house the tradition that has come before a people, and that which is most relevant and meaningful to them, in order to um be the sort of lodestone or the, uh, the scraping, the, hmm, the sharpening stone mm-hmm. that sharpens one towards consciousness. And perhaps that's what, perhaps the ultimate point of Westworld here is not to make those hosts conscious, but to make us conscious through seeing how creatures like us become conscious themselves. Yeah, very good. So perhaps we'll be freer at, after every episode in there in podcast, Mr. Bob, Babcock. Perhaps that's why when we studied the liberal arts and became masters of them, we would read and then speak. Read and speak. Read and speak. Exactly. Uh, what is the what is the uh, taken uh, toke? What's the Augustine quote? Uh, take it up and read. Uh, it. Yes. Yeah. 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 So it is uh, labeton biblion kai lege. Yeah. So take up the. Take up the book and read it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I look forward to continuing to do that with you, Mr. Babcock. It's been yeah. another wonderful episode from Nashville, Tennessee, and you're still in the mean streets of Detroit, and we got to hear Lucy, our mascot. <laughs> <laughs> but she'll be, she'll be the little light for the hosts in the darkness. <laughs> yeah, very good. Very good. Yes, she is the light bringing us to consciousness through minor suffering. And <laughs> And who knows what terrible figure she's keeping out every time she barks too. We're oh, so ungrateful. And yeah. so many, many elephants, many, many elephants. All right. Well, all right, Mr. Babcock, thank you very much for your time. Had another great, um, a great talk with you. And well, hopefully we all come to a little more light and consciousness and freedom um, as we go. All right. Until next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.